You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. This episode is yet another example of a beautiful conversation that just sort of happened organically. Talking about states of being, states of mind, being versus doing, and we talk about mushrooms. <laughs> you know, it's just a conversation between friends. Enjoy. start with a poem um, this uh, just came to me one day when I was looking out my office window at a pine tree and I've had a lot of inspiration from this particular pine tree um, and one day this is what came up as I was staring at it and this poem is called the gospel of a city pine tree Stop becoming and start being. Retire from searching, be presently seeing. Travel far and experience wide, but notice when presence is cast aside. Here, now, expressing, creating. Closer than time, past liking and hating. Bushes and trees and planets exist. And unlike this mind, they need not resist. What do they have that this mind doesn't have? They have presence of life, neither happy nor sad. Silence and stillness that generate peace. A powerful joy where creation retreats. All of that now, right here where I'm standing, it never was hiding, deceiving, demanding just waiting for me to notice it being, get out of its way and join it in seeing. Sit as it, hear as it, feel as it's feeling. Stop being me and start being being. Nice. I love it. You know, the things you can learn from a pine tree. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that was a that was quite a journey. <laughs> cool, thanks. Yeah. yeah, I was enjoying uh, yeah. where you went with that. It was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's this this tree is interesting because um, it's in a parking lot, and um, even though there's all this man made stuff around it, cars and asphalt, it's near an airport. <laughs> you know, there's, you know, uh, all this man made stuff around it, yet it is still just a pine tree that is sitting there being a pine tree. And it just always strikes me that that's the case. And it gets me wondering sometimes about um, us, you know, because us humans, we uh, are also in these man-made worlds, wearing clothes and driving cars and looking at computers and screens of various types. Um, and those things oftentimes pull our attention away from the fact that we're just sitting there and we are a piece of the universe that's just expressing itself through this, this little biological creature. 
Yeah, and, and your your poem um, brings to mind the iconic image of you know the the crack in the concrete the concrete that's got the green thing pushing up and out of it, so that even even with all this stuff, all of this man made stuff, there's still nature working its way to try to you know mm-hmm. fill in those cracks and open up and mm-hmm. overturn rocks and push up concrete. Yeah, you know, yeah. Those trees are always doing that. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, you know th- this movie that I watched recently, um, Fantastic Fungi, uh, or Fantastic Fungi, if you like to say it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Nobody really knows. Yeah, uh, Stamets and and others are are trying to create um, an opportunity for the mycelial network to reestablish itself by kind of mapping out specific locations in the concrete jungle Mm. where they can remove some of the concrete so they can plant something that will connect this, you know, biological intranet. Oh, very interesting. The the mycelial network. So, so they're attempting to make these places so that, that the land can connect to itself again. Got it. Yeah. And for those who might not know what, what mycelium is, that's that the underground part of, of mushrooms, right? Yeah. It's underground network. You know, hair thin, little stretchy tendrils that, that communicate to the other parts of the plants and allow trees to connect with one another and communicate across vast distances, hundreds of miles sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty powerful. Oh, yeah. When you think about how every time you step down in a forest, you're stepping on potentially 300 miles of connected space where all the trees are communicating to one another and, and the the fungal network that's underneath that's mm-hmm. invisible mm-hmm. Um, just works its way to the surface and yeah, you know, just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty cool, you know, and it's just sitting there being, doing its thing, mm-hmm. you know, you know, so what do you think of, um, of doing? Because we have to do stuff in life. Okay. You're born and you're a human being Right, which, by the way, I I think um, that word might be better interpreted as a verb than a noun, right? But we tend to think of it as a noun, right? Mm-hmm. But um, and it certainly is, but um, it's very much a verb too, you know. Um, but you know, you become this human, and we think that there's all this stuff that we have to do, and we do a lot of stuff, right? Um, the mycelium under the soil does a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know, um, yet we can get caught up in what we do, can't we? And we sometimes think that, oh, we've failed to do things and, and am I doing the right thing? Um, I, I imagine you get a lot of clients in your work that aren't sure what to do or if they're doing the right thing or if they've done the wrong thing. Um, do you have any wisdom on that? You know, um, it occurs to me that the doing comes from the being more than anything. Mm, yeah. Because your beliefs, your identity, uh, who you think you are, what you're here, what you think you're here to do, all that stuff will change how you feel. It changes the story. It changes all the things that happen um, internally before you even do anything. Is you, you create feelings. You have feelings, mm. urges to take you um, across the, you know, the state to visit someone or, um, 
you know, an avoidance of people because you got your feelings hurt. You know, there's a story behind that that mm-hmm. creates a feeling and the feeling creates changes in what you do. So, so I just see that connection between being and doing as, as kind of like, uh, it's very, descri- it's very descriptive of what happens. I mean, everything that we do is a result of this identity and these beliefs, which we call being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you believe that you are someone else, if you truly believed that, if you identified with some other role that you didn't previously identify with, it would absolutely change what you're doing. Oh, it sure would. Yeah. You, you would just behave differently. Yeah. You would take different actions. So yeah. that's, that's the, when I, when you say that, it makes me immediately just think about that connection, how that's there all the time. Yeah. You know, something else that has been talked about on this show um, is the whole idea of um, do have be versus be do have. Mm-hmm. Would you mind uh, sharing your your, yeah. uh, your angle on that? It fits perfectly here because, um, you know, and, and I believe this comes from Neil Donald Walsh, is at least that's the origin that I can come up with. I, I've, I've searched around trying to figure it out, and I think it's Neil Donald Walsh, but he mm. says, um, be do have. So who you're being your identity, who you think you are, affects and directly speaks to what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you're doing ultimately leads to what you have because have is equal to any result. So anytime you achieve anything, anytime you get a result, anytime you look at an environment, um, like a house or a new car or new clothing or <laughs> new boyfriend, new girlfriend, those are all end results, right? Yeah. And they're the result of what you did. So be, do, have, that's really what we're doing all the time to create the results that we have. It's that formula. But most people confuse it because in school and, and by the time someone grows up, there's a lot of emphasis on uh, the having part. Yeah, yeah. You Society know? tells us that you're supposed to do do first and then yeah. have, and then that's how you be. Yes, or that yeah. you have to have a bunch of things before you are the person who those right. things indicate. Right. You haven't arrived yet. Yeah. You got you your certificate. Now you're this. Yeah. Yeah. But again, to tackle that, um, whatever it is you want to be starts with you literally just stepping into the idea of being it. Yeah. So if, if you're wanting to go to school and you decide that you are a scholar, you decide you are whatever it is that you're aiming to be. It's that decision of stepping into that Mm. that causes you to shift your belief in who you are, your identity, who you're being. And then of course, what you do will change. You start to maybe retain information differently. Maybe you reach for the information differently than you used to. Yeah. Uh, And suddenly you go from being, you know, maybe a non-scholar to being a scholar because your identity has shifted so significantly that your behavior changes. And then the results of that are unquestioned. Like, you know, people go from being um, average students to being really, really great students. I mean, that's an example of of that. I want to point out what you just pointed out, (laughs) which is that there was a moment in that example that Mm -hmm. the person decided to be the scholar or you decided to be the student right? Mm -hmm. And it was that subtle decision 
that I'm, I'm going to go ahead and allow myself to be this thing that I want to be. Mm-hmm. And that, that really is where it started. Yeah. yeah. That, that was a very subtle thing that, that you, know, you just pointed out. Well, yeah. And, and again, most of society is saying, um, that's not how it works. Most of society is, is telling you that, that uh, you can't just be that. You have to get certain things and you've got to achieve certain things before you can... Mm-hmm. You can have that, and yeah, it just isn't really the case. And and with any kind of mindset tools like hypnosis or NLP or any of that, you know that you you are stepping into who you want to be before you actually get there. So it's not a case of always like you know fake it till you make it, but it's make it till you get it. So if yeah, you're, if you're just um, putting that energy out there that you want to. Um, be more motivated, it helps if you can think of a time when you actually were before and, mm. and start to step into the belief that I can I can be this motivated now whenever yeah. I think of this. So yeah. Yeah. Be it till you see it. <laughs> be it till you see it. <laughs> you know, yeah. It gets me thinking about a seed, right? It's not like a seed is not yet the flower that it's going to become. It was mm-hmm. always the flower from the beginning. It 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 is the flower, right? It may not look like it yet. It's just one end of the spectrum of the flower. Mm-hmm. It's not like it has to do all these things in order to be a flower. It always was. Right. You know? Um, one thing for sure is um, that doing may or may not happen, but being is guaranteed already. <laughs> like I'm sitting here, I am definitely being, but I may not do something, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely being, right? Um. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting images because I usually go here, um, is some of the Buddhist aspects of mind that we talk about so often on the show, mm-hmm. right? Is that, um, you know, we, we've got, um, well, you know, when I am a being, there could be different things that are actively existing that make up this thing that I call me, Right. I have a visual sense that is being, I have an auditory sense, you know, my sense of smell, my sense of taste and my body sense, you know, is actively being right now. And what's cool about recognizing this is being is also being, being is also being right. (laughs) (laughs) Is that when you sit and just notice any of those senses I just mentioned working, right? If I open my eyes, I'm going to see stuff, right? If I'm sitting here, I'm going to hear stuff, mm. right? If I pay attention to my body, I'm going to be feeling sensations and vibrations <clears throat> and all kinds of things that let me know I am actively being, right? It can be really powerful to just pay attention to that and notice that you actually really are being. Shunryu Suzuki, mm-hmm. one of my favorite Zen guys, mm. um, often talked about frogs, you know what I'm talking about? He talks about frogs. Remind me. He makes a really beautiful analogy between frogs and meditators. Um, meditators sit down and they try to do this thing called meditation. Right? I'm going to do my meditation now. I'm going to sit and do my breathing and mm-hmm. I'm going to do my mantra or mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> do my body scanning or whatever it is that you're going to do during mm-hmm. your meditation. Mm-hmm. And he likes to use this example of a frog because frogs sit like meditators also. Mm-hmm. 
but frogs don't know that they're doing that. They're just being They're it. just being frogs. Yeah. They're very alert. They're very peaceful. They're very aware because they're hunting, right? They're waiting for a fly to come by. They're very responsive, right? But they don't have a mind about what it is that they're doing. They're just being. And so his analogy is we can learn a lot from frogs. If you're going to sit down and meditate, you know, maybe be more like a frog. And mm-hmm. you know what's funny is when I, when I learned about this idea, it tweaked my meditation and it caused me to begin to just sit there and just notice that I'm just the slab of meat that the universe decided was going to exist. And whether I decided it was going to grow or not, it's here. <laughs> you know. And if you want to um, really notice that you are just beingness that is happening in the moment, you know, just say, who is it that's making this heartbeat? Am I making this heartbeat? Well, in a way, and then in a way not. <laughs> Who's making me breathe right now? Am I? Or if I decide to stop, I'm, I'm going to fail and it's going to take over on its own, <laughs> right? And, and I'll end up breathing anyway. So that's probably why many or most meditation traditions involve breath work. Mm-hmm. Because breath is a really good example of something that we could do or something we could allow. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's the beingness of breath, which is it's going to just do its thing regardless of us. Or we can choose to control our breath and take deep, deep breaths or shallow breaths or hold our breath or, you know, whatever we want to do with our breath, sing mm-hmm. with our breath. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the doing part, which is fine. You know, we're not saying doing is bad, you know, um, but we're always doing and sometimes it's really nice to just notice the being part mm-hmm. and how much wisdom there can actually be there. And, and one of the things that in, on, on my own journey, what I've discovered is that when you do observe, when you do um, watch yourself just in a state of beingness, there seems to be a subtle joy that's there that just in my experience kind of naturally comes along with the awareness of that kind of beingness. think about what mind is we don't know what it is really yeah we don't have any way of pointing to mind you could say oh well it's where are you going to point people sometimes will point towards their head or their heart or yeah at some idea that they're talking about but mind is technically wherever mind thinks it is yeah (laughs) and so ironic right and um there is no evidence that we can say conclusively shows us that we even have a mind. Right. Mind itself is a metaphor for something 
it's not a fact. It's, it's, uh, it's an experience. Yeah. Yeah. So really what we're talking about is consciousness experiences things. It has the experience of something called mind. Yeah. But mind itself, it's a lie. It doesn't actually exist. (laughs) Alan Watts said that, um, thoughts are just thoughts about other thoughts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you're just thinking thoughts about other thoughts. Yeah, you know? that's exactly right. It's freaking hilarious. It, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, there are a lot of birds that all they really do is collect sounds from the forest and then repeat them. Yeah. That's really what the yeah. minds, you know, like, like each mind sense, you know, your, your visual sense is just reconjuring up various combinations of things that it has seen, that it has mm-hmm. the capability of perceiving. And then your auditory mind is conjuring up sounds and words and songs and various bits and pieces of language that it's heard in the past mm-hmm. and it's just reorganizing things and then mixing it with the the visual part and then we start to piece them together and go oh my god i'm i'm, I'm thinking thoughts about situations <laughs> you're like no we're just reorganizing combinations of things we've already experienced yes <laughs> exactly. that's really all it is yes you know? what exactly. happens if you just wipe that clean for a minute then you're just perceiving. Well, and you you said earlier, um, you know, who's in charge? Like when you you're quiet, you're still, and you know who is in charge? Yeah, at that moment, that beingness, right? Well, um, <clears throat> you already mentioned about the breath and, and and all that. So we obviously have a part of our conscious awareness which can be volitional about stuff, and there's this other part that feels as though it's happening to us or through us. And there's a, there's a quality of looking at it almost as if it's just happening rather than I'm doing this thing. That mm-hmm. thing is happening. Yeah. So there's a level of dissociation in that. Yeah. Um, that's sometimes called an unconscious mind or a subconscious mind, but it's yet another construct. Yeah. It's yet another idea that is a convenient idea. It, conveys an idea right yeah. effectively but it's not true any more than yeah anything else is true <laughs> right right well okay so it's not you like and, you can point to the subconscious mind somewhere and identify yeah, it where in, is it in an mri or something it's yeah. it's still a construct it's a way of talking about uh-huh. concepts and ideas um through metaphor because it, it conveys this idea and, and we can discuss you know the parts of you that you're unaware of, but that are habitual, that are mm. automatic. Um, and we, we totally. get access into totally. this by looking at posture and body mm. and breath, mm-hmm. facial expressions. Yeah. You know, um, you and I uh, know about hormones and, mm-hmm. you know, but we don't know the first thing about the chemical structure of them. Right. Right. Like I, I, I couldn't even begin to know how to piece together the atoms that make up insulin or dopamine or anything like that, right? Right. Yet you and I are both making those things right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So this mind that we're talking about doesn't know how to do that, Mm -hmm. but yet this I does know how to do that. So we're doing all those things right now. We're doing, uh, you know, like I don't think of myself as very talented with chemistry. (laughs) I'm not a very good chemist. But apparently I'm an amazing chemist because I've made all these things inside me. And so you don't have to know it in order to do it. That's true. And I think the mind... You don't have to understand it in order to know it. 
Right. Right. <laughs> you don't even have to do it to be it. Just be it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hi, I'm insulin. <laughs> nice to meet you. How's it going? I'm blood sugar. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. I'll introduce you to my friend Glucagon, who's the other side of blood sugar. Anyways, enough of that. Yeah. So, you know, to this idea of um, being versus doing, mm-hmm. if being is an action, it's a form of doing. So when a being takes an action, it's just an action taking an action. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Which is so strange Yeah, that actions are taking actions. Beings are also doings. <laughs> <laughs> now we're all over the map. Oh, boy. Oh. The nature of paradox yeah. and truth. If our, if our listeners that are... As it is. If our listeners that are eavesdropping on this are starting to laugh and be confused, then I think we have succeeded. Because mm-hmm. that's the whole idea. Right. Let's let's dig up the paradox, look at it, be dumbfounded, and then maybe that's the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm. Of what? I'm not sure. But uh, but here we are, mm-hmm. being. <laughs> to others uh don't be a bitch don't be stupid don't be stupid exactly right um homie be like okay so there's all these things right let it be it's all these phrases that we use um yet how often do we reflect on the actual use of there was a great b in do you remember that historically hippie thing right the great the great b in oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. great being. Mm-hmm. So we have these phrases that come up in English and it makes me wonder, like, we don't really know what the hell we're talking about <laughs> when we use language like we this. We don't. Yeah, we really don't. You know, um, remember, um, what's his name? Six to 10 metaphors a minute. Is that what we use? Six to 10 metaphors a minute? Approximately, yeah. According to wow. George Lakoff, the linguist who wrote... Huh. Some really great books. One of them called uh, Metaphors We Live By. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that book. It's really good. Yeah, which yeah. I intend to read. Yes, yeah. it's good. Yeah. It's really, really good. Mm. And Don't Think of a Blue Elephant is another one that he wrote. Mm-hmm. And, but anyway, uh, uh, we, we tend to make six to ten metaphors per minute in common English parlance. Yeah. Right? We, okay. we do this thing. And we walk... Um, through life and something, an idea just hits us, you know, there's always some kind of metaphor that you're referring to, like mm-hmm. as if an idea is a thing that hits you. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's constant. Yeah. You know, back when I was five, really. So it's back behind you. Right. Five years old was behind you. Yeah. Um, the brain has an easier time tracking what it's saying when it creates these visual metaphors. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's easier and to I, track I, and, and to, to navigate. We probably, most people probably think of their life, you know, from birth to death as a path. Because mm-hmm. that's, you know, a tangible thing that we experience in this physical world, you know, mm-hmm. like life is like a path. So um, there's a beginning of your path and an end of your path. So we just go ahead and use that, you know, way back when, like you said, you know, like you use the, we use these, these words. Kind of gets me painting pictures for each other. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Kind of gets me wondering if you're standing on your timeline and you turn around and you walk the opposite direction and you go back to your beginning, Mm -hmm. what's past that? Because it seems to me like there's kind of a fork in the road and one fork is your mom and one fork is your dad. Right. So then who are you there? You know, it's like, are you this entire road? So what is this being? (laughs) <laughs> well, that topic is something that gets explored in, in a variety of um, personal growth um, exercises. Um, you know, there, there's lots of them, actually. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about, um, you know, working through the timeline back to your, through your parents, your, your familial line, you know, your lineage. Um, can also be explored as a past life regression. You know, yeah. That's done um, mm-hmm. with a sort of hypnotic facilitation where, where someone can explore. Yeah. Um, it is an interesting question. I mean, when you're doing it for a purpose, like um, say you're doing core transformation okay. or is a technique. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you might have a, a purpose in mind of, of bringing resources into someone's life and making those resources more available to them. So the metaphor of working through the timeline and, imbuing yourself at an earlier age with this quality, well, um, as irrational as that might seem, there's a lot of rationality to it uh, because you're creating, you're, you're creating a story and you just have to accept that the story is true, basically. And, and then y- your mind will remap itself. It starts to create thoughts and, and uh, a holographic experience of those memories. Um, if you do it effectively. So it's, it's an interesting thing. Like, like you could go into that passively to try to discover something, or you mm. could go in, uh, with an idea that you're going to just simply imbue your history mm. with it. Yeah. And, yeah. and when you do it, it, it changes how things, uh, it changes how you experience things in the present. Once that's done, it rewires you. So. Sure. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Because yeah. um, you know what's weird is if you think of your your life and the life of your ancestors and even the lives of of future people in your in your family lineage, if you think of it as as a road or a, or a set of pathways, in a sense, the entire pathway may already exist at once. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're over here on this part of the path then it's existing right now. If you're on another part of the path, that path is also existing right now. Like I'm thinking of, we're in Southern California, the 405 freeway, the five freeway, the 55 freeway, right? Mm -hmm. I can only experience it one, one moment at a time, but the entire freeway system is already in complete existence. Right. It's just sitting there. It is, it is being (laughs) right now. It is also being. It is also being. Being is also being. Right. (laughs) Um, 
And uh, so then we experience our own, you know, um, our own beingness through episodic memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I just pitched this question to my students, you know, it's like, well, we understand that the hippocampus in the brain is the part of the brain that orders events, takes experiences and then puts them in order. This, this happened and then that happened and then that happened. And that gives us our sense of time. And it really is an interesting thing to ponder. If we didn't have a hippocampus, would time actually really exist or not? It's really hard to answer that, you know, because there's, there's the version of time that physicists use, but that's not necessarily the kind of time that we experience. Right. What we experience more is rhythm. And because we experience rhythms, we experience cycles. Right. Yeah. We cycles are reasoned out, I think, to help account for time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we experience the order of things, mm-hmm. you know, not really time. We just sort right. of call it time. We just experience an order in which things occurred, Yeah, um, which is useful, which, you know, we kind of like to know that, you know. Um, but um, yeah, so so um, this this idea of of beingness can exist without a concept of time, right? If, if, if I take my beingness and say, oh, well, in that moment of beingness, and then in, then in this other moment of beingness, and then in a third moment of beingness, and I put them in order, one, two, three, then I have this illusion of time. Um, but it does not change the experience of existence in that very moment then I think the problem is we then reflect on those things and then we go ahead and accept that image of time, the order in which certain things occurred as us rather than the real thing that was us, which was that in those moments we were just expressing life. Life was expressing itself and we call it me or you or her, Mm -hmm. something like that, you know. Um, It is pretty mind-boggling which is a good thing. Or you don't you even do wanna, have a mind, so don't worry about it. I know, it. exactly. I know. <laughs> who's, who's even being boggled, right? right? It was like the, uh, this is a good time to retell the joke. You know, we, we, shared, we shared a joke you know, on our, our page that we saw, right? It was um, a Buddhist joke. Oh, yes. Right? <clears throat> and um, so Dukkha, Anicca, and Anatta walk into a bar. Okay, so Dukkha is suffering. So, so suffering said, so let, let, me, let me do the whole thing in English, okay? Suffering, impermanence, and no self walk into a bar. (laughs) Suffering said, life sucks. Impermanence said, this will pass. And no self turned around and said, you talking to me? Yeah. Right? So, um, (laughs) nobody's even being, right? Oh boy. I think we've solved nothing. Exactly. We've solved nothing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, nothing needed to be solved. Exactly. And right? we did it. See how we did that? See how we are? We did it.
explorations into psychedelic space, the journey of psychedelics, the, the power of the ego dissolving qualities that are there, mm. or at least conscious mind dissolving for a little mm. while, mm-hmm. um, and the creativity and the connection that happens where it seems to pull you out of yourself momentarily, or at least for a period of time, the experience is as if you're not in yourself. Sure. That you're in everything else that you're experiencing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that kind of thing um, deepens one's ability to surrender and and also to experience beingness mm, yeah, and yeah. self-love. Um, naturally, what we're talking about can be achieved in a lot of different ways. I mean, if it's possible for you to conceive of something or achieve particular states of mind at all, then it can be done usually multiple ways. But it seems that um, if you have some mental training, you know, meditation, anything like that, that then you take uh, a powerful psychedelic and you have for several hours some playtime to actually explore those things that you want to explore. And I have to say that, that, um, it has greatly sped up my own development, my awareness of certain things. Yeah. I don't think I would have been anywhere close to where I'm at in my life right now um, if it weren't for those experiences. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be uh, more and more socially acceptable to talk about these things sure. because it's just yeah. inherent that, yes, it's still a little bit taboo. And of course, yeah. it's not legal everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's only legal and very... Um, few places, but yeah. the attitudes around it are starting to become, in my mind, a little bit more enlightened. Like people sure. are actually looking at how, yeah, how these things can affect your performance. You know how they can affect your uh, mental health. You know, and various kinds of things. So it's, yeah. it seems to be like okay to talk about these things. Now. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Intelligentsia and medical uh, folks and literature and yeah. philosophers and you know, everybody's kind of yeah. coming out and saying, "Hey, yeah. guess what." I've had this experience and right. it's awesome. <laughs> Guess what? All the musicians were right. Yes, they were right. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a it's an it's a non ordinary state of mind. You know, in terms of a day to day state of mind. Yeah. Um, and this is a good time to point out that there are other non ordinary states of mind mm-hmm. that also loosen that ego identity and help yep. give surrender. And and one of those states of mind is. Um, becoming very ill, yeah, and it's 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 really common for people that have had very very serious illnesses that have overcome them, that have healed and gotten better, to um, have had a life changing experience. Um, <clears throat> because when you're very very sick, okay, let me use an example. Most people are uncomfortable being naked in front of strangers, but if you're really really sick and you're puking and you have diarrhea coming out and somebody's got to take care of you and somebody's got to wipe your behind and you're dizzy and you're just in complete misery, you really don't care in that moment. (laughs) And I know this from having seen it so many times, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, that is another way of dissolving ego too. And so Mm -hmm. just this idea that, that there are other states of mind that can help us experience that state of surrender. Yes. 
and how useful that can be, whether it's psychedelics or illness or other states of mind. I would imagine having a baby. I, me too. I would, I, I would too. Yeah. And that's, a, of course, for you and I, that's all we can do is imagine, imagine it. Right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, there's that. There's people that have had near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. There's people that have had just strange spiritual awakenings that are unexplained. Yeah. There have been people that just had a moment where they saw something in nature and caused them to never see the world again the same way. And so there, there, there are, there are experiences that teach us surrender. For Pain sure. can teach you a lot of surrender. Pain definitely does. Yeah. Um, the, the, Sports, the death, martial arts, martial arts, the, the, the death of loved ones and friends and things mm-hmm. like that, yep. um, can offer surrender. The, the end of a relationship can teach us a lot about surrender. Yes. You know? Yeah. Certain forms of body work. Yeah. And movement therapy. Mm-hmm. can teach surrender. Yeah. Um, improv can teach surrender. That's right. Whether That's right. it's, you know, acting improv, contact dance improv, musical yeah. improv, whatever it might be. Right. Trying to have a relationship with a cat <laughs> can really teach you surrender. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, big time. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. My name is Oliver Altine. I produce the show. I also wrote the theme music, which you're listening to right now. And the interstitial music this time was a song I wrote called Flame of Life, which you can find on my SoundCloud account. Please subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts and find us on social media. We would love to connect with you there. And you can find our website, at AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.